morning everyone uh i'm picking up again this morning from the lectionary and the lectionary's readings on the gospel of mark i will uh in this message just talk a little bit about the direction beyond here uh what we're doing here in the gospel of marks a little bit of a holding pattern until i get a bit more organized for the teaching and preaching theme and teams for um for 2021 uh, but i think there's been some real value in the Gospel of Mark these last few weeks. And uh, so we're gonna continue along here. Uh, many Christians around the world today are celebrating a feast or observing a feast called the, the, the Transfiguration, the, the Feast of the Transfiguration. Um, so the reading comes from Mark chapter nine and it, uh, it covers Jesus' Transfiguration. So Picking up in verse 2 here, after six days, it says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Then Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking to Jesus. Peter said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It says in brackets uh, in the English translation, he didn't, know what, he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. I don't know about you, but this has always struck me as a as a kind of strange story. Uh, maybe, unlike me, you put together... Uh, some of what's going on in this story um, with your understanding of the Old Testament. So uh, the fact that Jesus um, takes these, these three close disciples with him to the top of the mountain and, and there um, they see these two great figures from, from the Hebrew tradition, from, from what we would call the Old Testament, Moses the one who received the law from God and so represents the, the tradition of the law and Elijah who was this great prophet, maybe um, the king of the prophets in some ways, the, 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 uh, the standout prophet, one who represents the prophets of the old tradition and, and one thing that both these, uh, these figures have in common right, is that they had a mountaintop experience in their own lives uh, or they encountered God in some extraordinary way. So with Moses, he encounters God in the burning bush, but then also when he's on the top of Mount Sinai and he receives the law from God. And uh, if you know that story, you'll know that he has a kind of physical change, um, not, not, as, not as extreme maybe as Jesus' transfiguration, but uh, you'll remember when he comes down off Mount Sinai, there's, it's like he's glowing, it says, and... Uh, he, he's, he's obviously affected 
by this encounter with God. And Elijah, you might remember, he has this encounter with Jesus on Mount Horeb, uh, with Jesus, with Jesus, with Yahweh, with God on Mount Horeb that uh, is more intimate and more powerful than what most people get to experience. Uh, it was it was that, that wind that blew past him, if you read that story from Elijah. And so the fact that Jesus is on the mountaintop uh, talking with these great leaders of the Jewish faith, and they seem to be deferring to him. And, and then and then this voice comes from heaven and says, this is, this is my son. Uh, for Jesus' disciples, that was a kind of proof of who Jesus was as the son of God. But uh, if you picked up on all of that just by reading the passage, you're doing better than me. <laughs> I find that uh, I often have to go to the commentaries to work these things out. Uh, anyway, what I want to pick up on this morning, though, is a particular dimension of this story that I think helps it to make a bit more sense. I feel like it's God's word for us today. Like most parents, I think my kids are, are pretty special. You know, I think they're the funniest. I think they're the smartest. Uh, not really. You know what I mean? We, I think my kids are, are pretty, are pretty cluey. Uh, so I'm not sure how disappointed to be with the amount of times that I have to speak to them about some pretty basic stuff. Um, some stuff that I think uh, in their, with their level of fluiness, they should be able to work out without me. And what makes it even more frustrating is I have to speak to them oftentimes multiple times. Some of you are going to get some deja vu here because this is what it sounds like. The parents in 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 uh in attention uh you'll know this and uh those who aren't parents but have been children you might start getting flashbacks i'll say child a hey please don't do that please don't do that you'll break that You'll hurt yourself, you'll hurt your sister, you'll disrespect your mother. Please don't do that. And then the message not getting through leads me to say, again, I asked you not to do that. So I'm speaking to you about it twice now. Please don't do that. But you'll know there's a gear that you can go up or down into from there you can you can you can often have to go further than that uh, i find myself disappointingly often having to go further than that and so what do you say you say this listen to me if you do that you will break that thing you will hurt yourself you will hurt your sister you will disrespect your mother listen to me you know that third gear so it's like please don't do that please don't do that those are the first two and then the third listen to me listen to me you're not hearing me listen to me 
this is really important. You guys are right, am I, am I sort of, uh, I, are you having uh, some, some bad flashbacks there? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But going to the listen to me here, that's what I wanna pick up on here because I believe that God is doing that here for Jesus' disciples. He says, and you can see it in um, verse 7, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. So that's like a picture of, of the glory of God. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So what is God referring to when he says listen to him? What is he saying that Jesus has said or might be saying that they need to pay a special attention to? It's obvious that God is doing something extraordinary to communicate something and he's grabbing the attention of Jesus' three disciples here. But what are they to listen to? Now, to understand this passage, you need to wind back to the story that precedes it uh, at the end of chapter 8. And I'm going to pick up here verse 31 and you'll begin to hopefully see what it is that God is saying listen about. So verse 31, the story just before the transfiguration says this, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man, so this is Jesus teaching, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man Jesus is taking this title, Son of Man. Some of you will know it, it comes through in the prophetic tradition of Israel. It often refers to the human dimension of a prophet, but there are some uh, particular texts, including Daniel, and then some that haven't really made it into our Bible that meant a lot to the Jews of Jesus' time that talk about the end, uh, the eschaton, so the end of history, how God was going to bring it all back around couple of writers, prophets, people like uh, uh, the writer of the book of Enoch and the writer of the, uh, the Apocalypse of Ezra, they use this title to talk about this figure of God who is involved in that bringing things to an end and bringing things back around. And so in the minds of many Jews in Jesus' time, this was the figure of the Messiah. Son of Man. So while Jesus seems in the Gospel of Mark to be a bit uh, funny about taking the mantle of Messiah, um, here we see him kind of using a different code to maybe say the same thing. So he's saying that the Son of Man and his disciples presumably would have gone, we think this is this guy because he's operating in the power of God. He's doing some of the things that we would expect the Son of Man or the Messiah to do. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. It says he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside to rebuke him. You know this story, right? So Peter takes him aside to rebuke him about this teaching that the Son of Man must be rejected, must suffer, and must die. It says in verse 33, But when Jesus turned and looked 
at his disciples. He rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And it says, Then he called the crowd along uh, with him and his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? (laughs) After uh, this, he says, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus' disciples would have rightly been confused and troubled by this teaching that the Messiah, the one who would vindicate Israel, the one who would rescue Israel from its oppressors, would be rejected by the religious leaders of Israel and in fact have to die. And that's where Peter is coming from. And he says, no, 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 Jesus, you've got this wrong. If you're the Messiah, you're not dying. The Messiah is not going to be rejected and die, suffer and die. And Jesus responds to them. I think this is really crucial. He says, some of you are not going to die before you see the kingdom of God come in power. So the disciples thinking, is this really the Messiah? If, if, if Jesus is predicting his own death, if instead of predicting him sort of overpowering the forces of our oppressors in this world, he's predicting that he's going to die at their hands. Maybe this isn't him. And so this helps us to make sense of what happens in the transfiguration when Jesus leads those three who are especially close to him up to the mountaintop. And there's this manifestation of God's glory and affirmation of who Jesus is. It's like God the Father is saying, listen to this thing that he said about who he is. Yes, he is my son. Yes, he is the son of man, the Messiah. Go accept this teaching that he is giving you about his death, his rejection, his suffering. You see, the disciples, like many of us, risk missing this key thing about who Jesus is, because in our human nature, we don't want a Messiah who would suffer and die. We want to be vindicated according to the powers of this world, right? We want to be vindicated in the eyes of the world. We want to see our enemies crushed. We want to see uh, ourselves raised up over our oppressors and our enemies. Jesus says to his disciples, 
and they might miss this. And this is what God manifesting in the transfiguration is trying to get them to get. That they will see the kingdom of God come in power before they themselves taste death. How did they see it? Going back to my sermon from last week, they see it in the cross, right? They see it in the cross. That is the kingdom of God come in power. Is the thing that we risk, like Jesus' disciples, missing. We're looking for vindication according to the powers of this world, right? For some of us, the kingdom doesn't truly come. This is the risk. The risk that for some of us, the kingdom doesn't truly come until the second coming, until Jesus returns in power, till you know, whatever whatever we imagine goes along with that, the secular state is dismantled or injustice is completely snuffed out and uh, every knee will bow and tongue confess. I mean, that's going to be a powerful moment and that will be the culmination in some ways where, where everyone recognises the Lordship Jesus of Jesus. That will be the culmination of the work that God is doing. But we can't get there or understand that we're going to misunderstand something critical about the pathway there and what exactly is going on there unless we recognise what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, that we have seen the kingdom of God come in power through the cross because that is the power of the kingdom, that the God of the universe come as one of us would suffer and die and rise again. I'm going to wrap it up. Jesus' disciples walked with him. They got to hear him talk every day to them about the kingdom. They got to hear him teach others about the kingdom. They got to see him manifest the kingdom of God in power and still there was such a strong chance that they were going to miss exactly what the kingdom was about, the nature of the kingdom. God had to do something extraordinary like what he did in the transfiguration to show them, listen to Jesus. And he says that the cross is a part of it when he says that. The cross is central. When he says that the cross is, a, is the manifestation of the kingdom of God coming power, you need to listen. <laughs> Listen, listen. There's a chance that you'll miss this. Listen, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come in power, before they see Christ as God giving up his life for others. He calls us to do the same. That's the power of the kingdom that the disciples of Jesus would follow him down that path where we give up our worldly power for the sake of God's love for the world. I'll leave it there. Hey, let me pray for you. Actually, just quickly, I mentioned that I would talk about uh, what we're going to do this year, and I think I think this is this is it really. We're, we're going to listen to the words of Jesus as a part of our first teaching thing around the nature of the kingdom because 
it's so easy to miss, right? We need to listen to Jesus about the kingdom. God, it's hard for us to make sense of your kingdom. It cuts against our nature in so many ways. I know that I, I can't follow you down that road. I can't uh, be prepared to lose my life without the reception and the involvement of the Holy Spirit. I know there's uh, others who, who see things the same way who are listening to this, Lord. I pray that you would just come on us afresh with a new wave of the Spirit so that we would get this kingdom reality that it has come in power the way that you gave your life up. Lord, I pray that the power of your spirit would, would move us down that road as disciples, Jesus, willing to follow in his way. Amen. Hey, talk to you soon.